I want to welcome all of our campuses joining us right now and all of our microsites and everyone watching online, literally across the United States and across the world. I have a friend who's watching right now from Haiti. Can we get up for those who are watching in, from Haiti right now? Incredible. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, we're in a series right now called Power Up, and my name is Danny Anderson. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. Thanks for coming, attending, or watching. And this series has really been about how to find the strength that you need for life, because life is difficult many times, is it not? We find ourselves oftentimes in situations where we're out of strength. Maybe it's a, a financial situation or an emotional situation in a relationship or a physical situation in our bodies something that's going on. Maybe we're injured or we have a sickness of some sort. But oftentimes we find ourselves in difficult scenarios where we just feel like we don't have enough strength to be able to deal. And this series has really been all about how it, the good news that's in the Bible is that there is strength available for you and I to be able to deal with the situations in our life. Last week, we talked about how the joy of the Lord is actually our strength. Did you guys enjoy that talk last week? Wasn't that fun? I had a lot of fun last week because we got Pastor Cody up here from the Greenwood campus to be our bubble boy, and that was just fantastic. And we said that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and watch it on the podcast. Uh, but we said that joy functions as a force field, right? It helps to, that when bad news comes into our life, when we're so filled with joy, God's joy, it functions as a force field and a shield for us. And I've had a pretty joyful week because one of the things that we said last week in the series was you have to schedule joy into your life if you want more of it. And so what my wife and I did this week in order to have some joy is we scheduled our children to be out of town. All three of them went away to camp this week, and this, is, was, this was our response the day that they left right here. Some of you might have seen that photo on my wife's Facebook page. I, my wife's face says it all right there. So we have had a very joyful three days, and so I have more joy than you do today. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but we are, we are very, very happy, and we have like one more day left without children, which is so exciting. We love our kids. We have a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 14-year-old. They're awesome. They rock, but it's fun when they're gone as well, uh, and if you've had teenagers, you know what that's like. So the joy of the Lord is your strength. Today, I want to do what I want to do is talk about this third principle of finding strength or a strategy to find strength. I'm going to give it to you first. I'm just going to throw it at you. And then I'm going to show you where it's found in the Bible and where the story actually comes from in the Bible. So here's the principle. If you're a note taker, challenge you to take notes. God strengthens those who, say it with me, fully commit to him. God strengthens those who fully commit to him. This principle is found in a book called Second Chronicles, way back in the Old Testament. Uh, you can check it out later if you want, right, right after, right before First Kings and Second Kings, right after Second First Chronicles. It's there in the Old Testament. <laughs> Have fun looking for it. Anyway, it's Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. This is what we read. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. The eyes of the Lord scan the entire planet, if you want to use a different phrase, in order to, say it with me, strengthen the those who say it with me, fully commit to him. How interesting. There's our principle for today. That God is searching the entire planet for a person, for a man, for a woman who will simply say, God, I fully commit my entire life to you. I full, my career, my hopes, my dreams, my relationships, my desires, like I give my whole life over to you and I fully trust you with the entire thing. 
Do you know many people like that? (laughs) God's eyes scan the earth back and forth, looking for one person, two people, 10 people, a thousand people who fully commit to him. The word fully commit is a Hebrew word that simply means all of your being. Your whole heart is completely devoted to God. Some versions actually say that God's eyes search the whole earth to show himself strong to those who are loyal to him. Just everything inside of them are just totally committed, wholly devoted to God. It's a great principle. It's like the principle of gravity. It's just a thing. It's just what God does. It's how he functions, right? This is the way God does things. He gives his strength to those who fully commit to him. Now this story, this principle is actually found in a story about a guy named Asa. He's actually king. He was the sixth king of Judah. So if you go back in time, the first king was Saul. Then there was David behind him, under him. Then underneath David was Solomon. Then underneath Solomon was Rehoboam. Then underneath King Rehoboam was King Abijah. And then underneath Abijah was his son Asa. So six kings removed from the first king. Asa's grandfather was, or Asa was the, uh, David was Asa's great, 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 great-grandfather. Pretty cool, right? So uh, David was a man after God's own heart, famous character in the Bible. So Asa's an important dude. Do you agree? Yes or no? He's the king of Judah. So the way the Bible says it starts out, the first 10 years of his reign, he reigned for 41 years in Judah. The first 10 years, awesome. They go swimmingly. He loves God. He's kind of, you know, getting the, the whole region, you know, clean of idols and all the people are getting rid of their idols and he's recommitting all the people to serve God and to love God. 10 years into his reign, all of a sudden, this massive army comes out of Africa, a million soldiers in this army, and they want to take over. They want to dominate uh, Israel, Judah, the whole nine yards. And Asa's in trouble. His back is, he's backed against the wall. He has a large army too. His army is about 580,000 soldiers, but still almost two to one in, in ratio. So he calls out to God in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Watch what he says to God. Then Asa cried out to the Lord, his God, O oh Lord, No one can help. (laughs) No one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God. For we, say it with me, trust in you alone. Like the, the odds are against us. Two to one. There's no way we can defeat this massive army. Listen, he continues in his prayer. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And God shows up in a massive way. And if you read 2 Chronicles, you see that God gives Asa and his army strength to defeat this million-man army that comes out of Africa to defeat them. And it's this massive victory, and everybody's excited. And as they're coming off the battlefield, God sends a prophet named Azariah to King Asa, and this is what the prophet Azariah says. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. He continues, whenever you seek him, you'll find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. And Asa hears this message and he's like, yeah, awesome. We're committed to God. We're going to go all the way. In fact, look what happens in verse 8. This is what it says in verse 8, chapter 15. When Asa heard this message from the prophet Azariah, this this is what happened. He took courage. 
He got even bolder. He became even braver. And he removed the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. And in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim, takes it a step further. He starts to repair the altar, the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. And he takes it even further. If you read down through chapter 15, he, takes all, he gets all the people out in front and he has them recommit to God in a covenant. And he says, guys, we're gonna go all in. We're gonna be fully committed. We're gonna trust God. Look what he just did. He delivered us from this massive million-man army. And all the people said, yeah, we're in too. <laughs> and it's like this total revolution, this recommitment to God. This, it's, it's, it was awesome. He was so committed to God at that particular time in his life that he approached his grandmother, the queen mother of Judah. She had a pretty important position. She had made an idol and Asa went to her and she wouldn't tear it down. And so he kicked her out. He fired his grandmother from her role. Can you imagine how Thanksgiving had, go, you know, <laughs> went for Christmas, the holiday seasons? Hey, Grandma, you're sorry I had to fire you. I mean, those of you who have businesses, you know, you have family members working for you. It's hard to fire your brother. <laughs> let alone your grandmother, right? Grandma, you're done. You're out of here. That's how committed this guy was. Like he fired his own grandmother. I mean, this is intense. He's totally committed. And that's how chapter 15 ends. Uh, Queen Mega is out, grandmother. And then chapter 16 starts. 25 years pass by, a quarter of a century. Asa reigned 41 years. All of a sudden, in his 35th year, we don't know much of what happened after that. 25 years goes by. In his 35th year of reigning, another king decides to invade, King Baasha of northern Israel. And instead of calling out to God, instead of calling for a day of prayer, instead of calling for a day or three days of fasting, instead of trusting in God, Asa does something very different. He takes all of the money in the Lord's temple, all of the silver and all of the gold, and he goes out and he hires a godless king of a godless nation, King Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he, he creates this alliance with this, with this godless king who's got a powerful army. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fight against this, this northern uh, king, uh, King Baasha, king of Israel, Who's, who's trying to, you know, come into our land and take over, and I want you to push him back. I want, let me show you a little map here, just so you can have a geographical idea. This is the land of King Asa of Judah. That's King Asa right there. It's an accurate description of what he actually looked like. Got the James Harden beard going, see? You like that? This is King Baasha. This is his region. He was invading Judah or wanting to invade Judah. James Harden beard, crown, all that stuff. It was way cooler back then. Anyway, so, so, so Asa hires King Ben-Hadad and they invade northern Israel and they back away and the whole plan works. Asa saves his people, but he took all the Lord's money and he put his trust in a godless king and a godless nation to do it. The only problem is, is that God was displeased. So God sends a prophet named Hananiah to say this to King Asa, chapter 16. King Asa, don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans? The million man army, don't you remember what happened to all their chariots and charioteers? Don't you remember, look what he says, at that time you relied upon the Lord and he handed them over to you. <laughs> 
And this is where we come up to verse 9. The eyes of the Lord, King Asa, they search the whole earth. They scan the whole planet. Why? To strengthen those who are fully committed to him. Oh, King Asa, what a fool you have been from now on. From this day forward in your reign, you will have war. See, the principle that we found today about finding strength in God is actually a rebuke. It's actually a correction. It's actually God stepping into a man's life and saying, what have you done? Don't you understand how I function? If you would have trusted in me, I would have given you strength just like I did 25 years earlier when that million man army came out of Africa. What happened, Asa, to your heart? See, this principle works. It works. It worked for Asa. It would work for you today. It would work for me today. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever challenging difficulty you have, it might be a relationship problem or a financial problem or a problem with your health or problems with people in your life or a problem with a job that you hate. I don't know what your issues are, but I can tell you this principle works. God will strengthen those who are fully committed to him. It's all throughout the Bible. It's just a law. It's a principle. It's like the law of gravity. God searches the earth to find somebody, a man or a woman, who's fully committed to him so he can strengthen them to deal with life. The problem is not with God, is it? The problem is with who? It's with us. We start out so well. We, we get excited. We, we give our lives over to God. We're like, okay, I'm going to be spiritual. Like, I'm going to really believe. I'm going to have faith. And we go a month or two or a year or two or five years or seven. And then what happens? We start to fade. We start to drift. Our commitment wanes. The passion and the vigor and the excitement that we had for God and the things of God and our commitment for God begins to fall by the wayside. Why? Because life happens. Children get older. Problems arise. Jobs change. Difficulties come. Distractions enter into our lives. And what happens to us? What happens to our original zeal? What happens to our original commitment? What happens to our original devotion to God? It begins to what? It begins to fade. I have been the pastor, the senior pastor of this church for 13 years now. Before that, I was the high school pastor for five. I've been here for 18 years. I have, see, I have seen people come into this church, have their life transformed by God, get excited for a year, get excited for two, maybe three years, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. What happened? What happened to the zeal? What happened to the commitment? What happened to the passion? The original love for God, where did it go? It faded. The commitment is no longer there. The problem is not with God and his strength. He has all the strength in the universe and he's looking to give it out. He's looking to dish it out. He's just looking for someone who will stay fully committed. The problem is not with God. The problem is with who? It's with us. How many pastors finish well today? How many Billy Grahams are there today? that go all the way to the end. I'll just pick on myself. 
how many people maintain their full commitment that they started with all the way to the end. God's just looking for somebody, anybody who will stay fully committed over their lifetime to give them strength for life. So here's the question I want to answer today. How do we fully commit? How do we stay the course? Anybody can do a year. Anybody can do two. Anybody can even do three years. Oh, I changed my life. I go to church now. I gave my life to God. I've recommitted. I've changed my ways. Anybody can do a couple of years. But how do you do a lifetime? Let me, let me help you. Let me help myself. Three ideas. You ready? Number one, you and I have to create a daily habit of seeking the kingdom of God. A daily habit of seeking the kingdom of God. Jesus said this one time. John chapter 6, verse 33. The best sermon ever given, ever recorded. The best TED talk on earth, in the universe. (laughs) Matthew 6, verse 33. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things. Food, clothing, shelter, cars, relationships, money. All of the things that people who who don't have faith in God. All those things they chase after. I will add those to you. Do not make them your first priority. Make your first priority seeking the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the place where God is working. It's the place where God is doing things. It's God's heart. It's God's will. It's God's ways. It's his plans. Seek that. Join up with him in what he's doing on this earth. A lot of people get confused about the kingdom of God when they read it in the Bible. They think it's about heaven. Oh, the kingdom. That's like when after you die, right? Sort of. But think about the prayer Jesus gave us. Ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is done in heaven. Where's the kingdom? The kingdom is here, right? The kingdom is the work that God is doing. Now, there are other kingdoms here, certainly. There's your little kingdom, my little kingdom, Satan's kingdom. (laughs) There's also God's kingdom. And you and I, our job as disciples is to get on God's page and figure out what God wants and join him in his plans and then fulfill those plans on earth with our lives. That's our plan as disciples. It's one of the most instructive things Jesus ever said for our lives. And we can do it here and there and hit and miss, but can we do it consistently over our lifetime? And that's where the habits come in. That's where the habits come in. Because a habit is something that you do so often and so routinely that you do it without thinking. Yes? How many people brush their teeth every day? You probably don't even think about it, right? Just brush, you just just do it. You just do it, right? Habits, they, they make you or they break you. They're things that you do without thinking. They're just habitual. Of course, they're habits. Well, what if you had a habit that helps you to seek the kingdom of God for the rest of your life. I love this quote from Mason Curry. He said, a solid routine, or you could use the word habit, fosters a well-worn groove in one's mental energies. Kind of picture water. Water finds the groove, right? And it runs, it doesn't doesn't take any energy for water to run into a groove. When you have a routine or a habit, all of your energies naturally run into that groove. It doesn't take a lot of work. We just do it easily. But then it also helps stave off the tyranny of moods. Someone's going to write a book called The Tyranny of Moods. Why don't we do what we know we should do most of the time? Isn't it true that you just don't feel like it? 
You don't feel like going to the gym. You don't feel like staying on the diet. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like reading the Bible. You don't feel, you don't feel. The tyranny of moods, oh, it crushes the most motivated among us. (laughs) We just don't feel like it. We feel like sitting on the couch. We feel like watching Netflix. We feel like eating cheese doodles. Anybody? That's what we feel like doing, but when you do what you feel like doing, you don't do what you're supposed to do, right? And so what if you had a habit that dialed you in every single day to seek the kingdom of God, and you did it regardless of the mood that you were in? The habit, the routine staves off, pushes off the tyranny of moods. One of the best things I've ever done for myself is to create a habit of seeking the kingdom of God every single day by reading the Bible first thing in the morning. Hands down. I don't read the Bible first thing in the morning because I'm overly spiritual or because I love God more than the next person. I I mean, I just can't say that. It's not a true statement. I read the Bible every morning and I journal and I pray and I might even memorize a Bible verse because I just have the habit. And every single morning I do it regardless of where I am, in the country, on vacation, at my home, wherever, what time it is, I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna get there and here's what it does. It dials me into what God is doing, what he wants, what's his heart, what should I do, where should I be? Regardless of how I feel, yes? Create a daily habit of seeking the kingdom of God and you will stay committed over the long haul, whether you feel godly or don't feel godly, whether you're living in victory over sin or you're being defeated by sin. It doesn't matter. You just continue to do it every single day. Number two, number two, cultivate humility. Number one, create a daily habit to keep you seeking the kingdom of God. Number two, cultivate humility. Humility It's not preached about a lot. When's the last time you heard a sermon on humility? All right, preachers don't like to talk about it because it's it's associated a lot of times with weakness, right? Humble people are weak people. It's It's actually the exact opposite is true. James, the brother of Jesus said this, humble yourselves before God. Peter would say it this way, clothe yourselves with humility. Jesus said it like this, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. Humility. What is it? Humility is a character trait, much like patience. Patience is a character trait. Some people have a lot of it. Some people have a little of it. Humility works the same way. Some people have a lot of it. Some people have a little of it. It's a character trait. It's also a state of mind. It's also a condition of soul. A humble person is in a mindset that says, hey, this isn't about me. I'm not the main character of this story. I'm not the most important person in the room. Therefore, a humble person can take the path of a servant, can serve others, can think about others, can put others before themselves. It's a state of mind. It's a state of being. How does humility help us make it over the long haul? Because that's what we're talking about such that God would search the earth and find somebody who's totally committed and give his strength to that person? That is the question. Well, here's the answer. Humility puts you and puts me in a position or posture to learn, to hear, to be instructed, to be taught. See, a proud person cannot hear. You can't teach a proud person anything, can you? Why? Because they know. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, you're describing my husband. (laughs) Now, why can I say that? Because I'm a husband, come on. (laughs) I'm very proud at times. Like, I know, I know, I'm the pastor. I'm not just your husband, I'm your pastor. Ooh, that works. 
in my house. If you believe that, I'll tell you another one. <laughs> Proud people cannot be taught because they know. They know the answers. Humility is like, I don't know. What is it? I need to learn. I, there's, like, what I do know is far less than what I don't know. So teach me, teach me, teach me. So it's not just teachable uh, hearing things from other people, but hearing things from God. Think about King Asa. After that battle, they came off the battlefield. Azariah comes to him, gives them a message from God. And what does Asa do? He receives it. He embraces it. He hears from God through Azariah. And he responds accordingly. 25 years, years later, another prophet comes, Hananiah. You fool! What have you done? Don't you understand that God strengthens those who fully rely on? You have done foolishly, and from now on there will be war. You know what he did to Hananiah? Those of you who know the story, you know what he did. He grabbed him and threw him in jail. What a difference 25 years makes. What happened to King Asa? He was so committed. He was so devoted. And over the course of his life, you know what happened? He became proud. He was the king after all. The king's in charge. The king is the man. You don't tell the king what to do. In fact, anyone who tells the king what to do is going to be arrested and thrown in jail. You see how important humility is? You can't teach him anything. Years ago when I was in college, I'll never forget this. I had a professor talk about one of the requirements to be king in Israel. And that was to take your own hand and write down a copy of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 17, this is what it says. When, the, when he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the, present of, in the presence of all the priests. Not only, not only is he to copy it with his own hand, he must always keep the copy with him at all times on his person and do what? Read it. How often? Daily. Remember number one? Create daily habits to help you seek the kingdom. He is to keep it on him and he is to read it every single day. Why? So that he can have all the answers to all the questions? So that he can win the theological debates on Facebook and Twitter? <laughs> No, no, we got to stop that stuff. You're not changing anybody's mind. Here's the reason that he's supposed to read it every day, that he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms and the instruction and these degrees. He's supposed, but how can you do that? How can, how can you keep a Bible on you and read it every day and then do what it says if you're proud? If you lack humility, you're going to read something and say, well, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. And I'm not doing that. And I'm not doing that. I don't know anything of this book. I'm just going to put it away. I'm the king after all. I'm going to do what I want to do. And isn't that what we do with our lives? We hear something out of God's words. I'm not going to do that. I don't agree with that. That's outdated. That's archaic. Okay. I'm talking about making it over the long haul and being committed all the way to the end. Cultivate humility, create a daily habit of seeking the kingdom. Let's talk about this third one. We gotta evaluate continually. Evaluate continually. We have to reflect upon how we're doing as Christ followers, as people of faith. The apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Look at it. Test yourselves, come on. 
Don't just go through your life and, and, and just pedal to the metal full for, you know. Look back on how you're doing. Evaluate how your week went, how your month went, how your year went. I love what the famous coach John Wooden said here in Indiana. He said this, without proper, proper self-evaluation, failure is inevitable. inevitable. Why? Why is failure inevitable? Because if we're not going to look at how we're doing, we can't correct. We can't course correct and say, man, I blew that. I need to change that. I, I need to shift that. If I don't shift that, I'm going to repeat the same mistakes over and even get worse. I have to evaluate how I'm doing. Now, I know some of you hate evaluation. And here's why you hate it. Because it produces condemnation. You feel bad about yourself. So you don't look back on how you're doing. It's like, oh gosh, I'm not gonna look back on that week. I'm not gonna review that month. That was terrible. I don't even, I wanna just move forward. Let me teach you, let me teach you something real quick. Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Self, the purpose of self-evaluation is not to make yourself feel bad or sad about your performance. Listen, here's the truth about your destiny, ready? If you're a Christ follower today, your destiny is glorification. That's the the theological word for perfection. One day you will be in heaven and you will have your sinful nature totally eradicated, totally removed. You will have the nature of Christ. There'll be no more greed. There'll be no more lust. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no selfishness. There'll be no fear. There'll be no worried. You will have no sin in your life. It's called glorification. It's called transformation. It's your destiny. It's your future. Is anybody excited about that today? Is anybody awake today? That's where you're headed. That's your future, right? That's where you're going, some of us sooner than later, and it's okay. So, we are to evaluate in light of our destination, which is glorification. Therefore, evaluation does not produce condemnation. Are you with me? Like, so if I evaluate my life, like, how did I do last week? I'm evaluating in in the light of hope of who I will be one day. I will be and you will be just like Christ, perfectly sinless. So why not start the process now? So here's what I'll do on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. I'll take a Friday and I'll say, okay, how, how did I do with anger this week? How did I do with jealousy? What was going on with lust in my mind and heart? How do I, okay, it's too, okay, I gotta adjust, gotta self-evaluate. Man, I let my fear, I let, I let too much fear invade my heart last week. Evaluate, how did I do? With hope, not condemnation, with hope of transformation. Is this making sense? Let me give you three questions that I use almost on a, reg- on a regular basis to evaluate. How is my love for God and people doing? Man, people are tough to love. I mean, it's not hard to love God. He's awesome. He's awesome, right? He's phenomenal. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's merciful. Like God, it's not hard to love him, in my opinion, okay? I know some of you have a grudge against him because you lost loved ones and he could have saved them. And I know, I know there's all kinds of complications with that, but in the law, I don't think it's that hard to love God. But people, mm, 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 mm. Wow. Did you hear about the Little League fight that broke out this week? Some of you watched the, the video, the YouTube video. I was sitting in the sauna at the gym, in the gym this week and this dude was watching it. Two men basically naked in the sauna, (laughs) sharing videos with each other. Probably a visual you didn't want to have. 
And he goes, dude, look at this. I'm like, dude, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. No, I seriously, I didn't think it was anything inappropriate, but that happens. That does happen sometimes. Like, spare me. I don't want to see it. But I told him I didn't want to see it because they were grown adults at a Little League baseball game punching each other out because a boy got called out at first base. And it just, the fight went on and on and on. And I, I haven't, still haven't watched it because I don't need any more evidence to show me that people are complete idiots. Yes, me included, like me included. Like I thought to myself, man, if my son were called out at first, I might throw down. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not above that. Like you know that, right? Like if, in fact, if you think you're above that, watch out. Watch out, you might be the one throwing the first punch next week. Humility, right? Humility says, oh, might be me. Hard to love people. People are crazy. How's my love doing for God and for the people who are punching themselves out at the baseball game this last week? All right, God says, here's, here's the two commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but Lord, my neighbor's, my neighbor's an idiot. They stop at roundabouts. I don't understand. I still don't understand. If you can clarify that for me after the service, please send me an email. <laughs> How's my love for God and for people doing? Second question I ask myself is, am I changing for the better? Like, is there any progress at all? Am I becoming more patient, more kind, more gentle, more pure in my heart? less selfish, like is there any progress at all? Again, with hope, like I will be just like Jesus, you'll be just like Jesus in the future. There should be progress. And if there's not, we get a book, we get some scripture, we start studying a particular passage, we get a counselor, we get a person in our small group to help us, right? We make the adjustment. And then let me give you this last question I ask myself, is there anything more important to me than following Jesus? Like a disciple has decided that they have found the greatest path on planet earth for life and that is following Jesus. They, and, and so they just know that he, following him is the most important thing. So is there any, I ask myself, Lord, is there anything more important to me than following you? Is money creeping in, the love of money, the love of material possessions? You know, is, is there a substance coming in? Is there, are there things, I'm, success, the success of our church? Like, is, like, was there anything that's becoming more important to me than following you? And I just course correct. Oh, I sense that, move that, correct, correct. No condemnation, just correction. If we want to be fully committed over our lifetime, we've got to create a daily habit of seeking the kingdom. We have to cultivate humility and we have to evaluate continually. I want to share a, a quick little story about a guy named Jim Cummings. How many of you know who Jim Cummings is? A lot of you don't. That's good. Jim Cummings is 76 years old. He put his faith in Christ when he was seven years old. So he's been a Christian for 69 years. He attends church here and has for a very, very, very long time. Here's a picture of Jim if you don't know what he looks like. <laughs> and he, uh, he comes to the Greenwood campus here, precious family. And I had, a, I had the privilege of talking with Jim this week because I th we thought, our staff thought of somebody, like who's somebody that was full, who has been fully committed to God over his lifetime? And, and Jim just is the picture of that. 
And I've seen God strengthen Jim in amazing ways, supernatural ways over my time here at Emmanuel. Let me give you one example. In 2009, Jim's wife became very ill. Some of you know who Sue Cummings is. This is a picture of Sue. There's Sue, there's Jim, beautiful lady, beautiful woman, beautiful mother, beautiful wife. 2009, she starts to get ill. Doctors don't know what's going on. Jim commits himself to take care of her. And for 10 years, a whole decade, Jim dedicated his life, rearranged his life, rearranged his home to serve and care for his wife as she battled pancreatic cancer and was um, confined to a wheelchair because of a tumor that was removed from her spine. Some of you watched it happen. He would wheel her in here and on Sundays in the wheelchair, take care of her, serve her, bring her to small group. I asked Jim, I said, how did you, you know, care for her so well over a whole decade? He said, you know, God carried me through the whole time and he's the one that gave me the strength. And I, I put my trust in him. Recently, this last year, Sue passed away. Through the funeral, before, after, Jim was just strengthened by God. Amazing. I asked him a few questions about, about um, there we go, about how he's able to stay committed to God over all these years. Here's what he said. I had some pretty, pretty good friends to keep me in line along the way. Doesn't it help to have some committed friends headed the same direction as you? He also said, I had my parents who brought me to church every single weekend. <laughs> and he's continued that. His parents don't make him come anymore. In fact, Jim comes to all four services here at the Greenwood campus every single weekend. I don't even do that sometimes. He said that one time he realized he didn't know the Bible well enough to help somebody put their faith in Christ. If he met somebody, he didn't understand like where to take them and how to instruct them and how to put their faith in Christ. So he began to study the Bible on his own so that if he ever met somebody, he could help them put their faith in Christ right there in that moment. Aligning himself with God's heart, God's kingdom. At one point he said this, I daily remind myself that there isn't anything that God cannot do. I thought, man, it's so good. That's where King Asa was, right? Million men coming in. There isn't anything that God, God can deliver the powerless against the mighty. And then 25 years later, King Asa's paying off King Ben-Hadad to fight his battles. We gotta keep that mindset. Jim said, every day I remind myself there isn't anything that God cannot do. I didn't know this part of the story about Jim. Pretty powerful part. Many, many years ago, Jim invited a young man who was married and had a, a baby, two babies, I believe at that time, to go play basketball at the church they were attending. And this particular man he described as a rabble rouser, which I guess back then is somebody who calls trouble. I don't really know. We don't use rabble rouser anymore, but that's what Jim said. He said, this guy was a real rabble rouser. So I said, okay, so he invites this guy to come play basketball. This man comes to play basketball. Then he invites him to come to church. One thing leads to another. This man, this rabble rouser comes to church, ends up trusting in Christ. That man who put his faith in Christ would become the founding pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in 1977. Invited by Jim Cummings, 
So we could say all of us here, all of our campuses, everybody watching online, myself included, we would not be here without Jim Cummings. Can we give God glory for that? Amen. Thank you, Jim. We honor you today. Now I know you're watching somewhere. Thank you for fully committing your life to serving God, Jim. I hope you get a chance to meet him here. He's somewhere here today at the Greenwood campus. That's my heart. My heart for you, my heart for myself is to go all the way to the end and be fully committed. I don't want to do 10 years and then have a dip or 15 years and have a dip or fall away. Let pride get in my heart. I don't want that for you. I want you to have full strength all the way to the end. Maybe today for some of you, you're watching online somewhere in the country, you're watching at another campus or one of our microsites. Maybe today you say, man, I need that strength and I know it comes from God, but I don't have a relationship with God. I wanna do that right now. I wanna trust Christ. Look, here's the truth. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you, not to start a religion, not to start churches, but to make it possible for you to enter into a relationship with God, to find joy and peace and strength. Yes, the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, grace, yes, mercy, but life the way it was meant to be lived. Maybe this is your moment where you put your faith in Christ. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own, wherever you are. You've put it off long enough. Trust Christ right now in this moment. Take these words and make them your own. Say this to him. Dear Jesus, I need you. I need strength for life. I'm out. I need joy to replace my sadness. I need peace to replace my anxiety. I need grace to replace my guilt. So right now, I reach out to you and I trust you. Wash me of all my shame, all my guilt, all my sins that have grieved you. Cleanse me and make me your child. I put my faith confidence in you. And from this day forward, give me a heart to please you, a desire to love you, a passion to stay committed to you for the rest of my life. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Come on, nice and loud. Amen. People entering into the kingdom. Hey, before we dismiss, if you trusted Christ at all of our campuses and online, if we want to put a new believer's Bible in your hands, we believe with all of our hearts that as we get into this book, we begin to change. God begins to morph us and transform us. Here's what the Bible says about the Bible. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's say it again. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so we believe as we get into this book, God shows us how to live and shows us how to become like Christ. So grab one of those if you trust in Christ today on the way out. Will you pray with me and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. 
Thank you for the promise of strength. Your eyes search the earth back and forth, up and down, looking for a man, looking for a woman, looking for a middle school student, a high school student, an elderly person, anybody who will be fully and totally devoted to you. I hope you find me. I hope I'm one of them. I hope you find others to give your strength to for life. May we fully commit to you today. Strengthen us. We give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. See you next week for week number four of Power Up. Bring a friend. God bless.